Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. The Black Panthers, Vanguard of the Revolution, is the first feature-length documentary to explore the Black Panther Party its significance to a to the broader American culture, its cultural and political awakening for black people, and the painful lessons wrought when a movement derails. Documentarian Stanley Nelson goes straight to the source, weaving a treasure trove of rare archival footage with the voices of the people who were there. Police, police, fire, FBI informants, journalists, white supporters, and detractors, and the Black Panthers who remain loyal to the party and to those who left it. Featuring such people as Kathleen Cleaver, Elaine Brown, Emery Douglas, Jamal Joseph, and many others, the Black Panthers' vanguard of the revolution is an essential part of American history. We're joined today by the writer, producer, and director of this wonderful document, a really terrific film called, uh, as I said, Black Panther's Vanguard of the Revolution. That would be Stanley Nelson. Stanley, welcome to film school. Uh, thank you so much. I should say welcome back. You were here a few months ago when, after the MacArthur Fellowship, and, and, and I'm so glad you're able to come back and talk to us because this is a part of American history, uh, thankfully will not be forgotten or misrepresented because of your film. Tell me a little bit, and for our audience who may not have been around in the 60s and 70s, about the importance and the significance of the Black Panther Party here in America. Well, you know, the Black Panthers came uh, about um, in 1966, they started in, in Oakland, California. And uh, they started as a result of the very uh, brutal police force in Oakland and kind of a quirk of the California law. At that point in California, you could carry a loaded weapon as long as it was out in the open. So the Black Panthers were a group of uh, young African-American men who would ride around um, following the police and, and listening on the police radio. And when the police stopped someone, the Panthers would jump out and, and uh, stand back 10, 15 feet, but with their loaded weapons out in the open. Um, and as they said, to, to make sure that there was no brutality on this part of the police. Um, this became a sensation, <laughs> a national sensation, yeah. and, you know, was on all the news channels and everywhere and kind of put the Black Panthers in, in center stage, you know, in, in the American uh, protest movement. You know, you're, you're kind of coming towards the end of the traditional uh, uh, protests of, of uh, civil rights movement of Martin Luther King, et cetera, and the Panthers were really something new. Plus, they had that look that most of us know, you know, the black leather jackets and the sunglasses and the beret and the big afros. And, and that also became this kind of iconic uh, look that, that uh, uh, was so uh, prevalent on, on, in the media at that time. Yeah, I think it's important that you, you, you mention this in the context of 1966. This is one year after the uprising in Los Angeles known as the Watts Riots, the largest up. Uh, urban unrest, I think that's safe to say, uh, maybe in the history of the country occurred in, in, in the summer of 1965 here in Los Angeles. And all of this, there's so many other incidents incidents that fed into uh, this this 
what move on the part of people within the African American community to to basically become more proactive in trying to uh, make sure that they were not abused by the by the by the police. I mean, help me out here. Is that is that a fair statement to make here? Yeah, yeah, I, I think that that's, that's a very fair statement to make. I think also, you know, what happens in, in, in from the mid '60s in, in, into the early '70s is that you know the movement starts to move north. So the the traditional civil rights movement, you know, that we see of marches and and uh, water hoses and dogs being set on people, you know, that was basically a southern movement. You know, there was about things that were needed in the South. You know, voting rights, uh, the right to ride the bus. The right to eat at restaurants, you know, those basic rights. But those were rights that, you know, at least were on the books in the North. So, you know, the the, the problems that people saw in the North were, were in some ways uh, different. They were, you know, problems uh, of, of brutal police. They were problems of bad schools. They were problems of terrible housing. Um, you know, all of these things may have existed in the South. I don't want to say that they they they, they didn't, but I think the concentration uh, on those problems um, was what the Panthers, you know, espoused, and and um, you know what kind of uh, galvanized so many young people when they saw the Panther movement. Right, right, and and uh, from the film again, the the movie we're talking about is the Black Panthers Vanguard of the Revolution, uh, and it's opening next week, next Friday here in Los Angeles. It's already open in New York, and I'm sure we'll be rolling out across the country. Um, I, I guess the first impulse of the Black Panthers is to protect the community. Uh, it, it, that seemed to be what was going on, but it over time evolved. And tell us a little bit about because we do, as you said, the imagery of uh, African American men standing or with with rifles, long long rifles, it became this kind of iconic image that we associate with them. But there was an evolution as well as a revolution, if you will, uh, going on within the African American community. Talk about sort of the progression of the Black Panther Party within that context. Yeah, first let me just uh, give an aside in, in case I forget is that I, I will be there uh, next week for the opening oh. opening uh, uh, of the film. I think I'm there Friday and Saturday, so um, please come out. But also, I mean, I think that, you know, one of the things that happens as the Panthers go on, they they decide that they're going to uh, have this program that became very famous, a Breakfast for Children program. And, uh, you know, that was simply what it sounds like. They they decided, well, we're going to serve breakfast to kids. And what's startling is that at that time, there was no government program that gave breakfast to, to kids, you know, who were going to the schools. Um, so the so the Panthers started uh, serving breakfast to kids. They, they ended up doing it in, in about 20 cities. Um, they served, uh, I think they, in the film, they figures 20,000 meals a week or something like that. So, you know, it was a, it was a huge program, and it, and it really kind of uh, endeared the Panthers to, to the local communities. And one of the things that happens then is that J. Edgar Hoover, Mm-hmm. who is the the director of the FBI, you know, really goes after the Panthers, and he actually says that the most dangerous thing that the Panthers are doing is the Breakfast for Children program. Yeah, I want to, in the time we have, I really want to start, I want to talk about the context of all of this, um, uh-huh. because uh, it, it, I, I'm, I can't help when I, when I see the photos looking, I'm old enough to have been around for some of the, uh, for much of what was going on during this period of time. So for me, the images of the, the African-Americans men with, with the rifles was intended uh, to frighten 
it was used as a way, at least within the kind of the media and the political context, as a way of scaring white people. And I, I can't help but think, coming to today, right, we have the images of Cliven Bundy and the standoff in Texas over federal rights to land and the rest of it. The image of a bunch of white guys standing around with rifles and, and contrasting, and, and, and this is somehow to elements within this country, you know, a, a, a sign of freedom and liberty and the rest of it. And yet these iconic images of the Black Panthers had, uh, talk to that, to the sort of that contrast, to this sort of the imagery and the power of the imagery in regard to, to all of that. Is that making sense? To, I mean, and what I was saying, there, there's just such a striking difference in the way that we as a society look at this. Uh, at these different, the same images, basically, that just the color of their skin is different. Well, I, I think what, what, what is what's also striking is that even back then, there was a different way that we looked at it. So, you know, you mentioned that that these images were kind of scary for you to see the black men, you know, with guns, and they were scary to a lot of the population of the country. But I think one of the Panthers' most brilliant calculations was that to another segment of the population, this is going to look like the greatest thing since sliced bread. Yeah. You know, so, so the, as one guy says, you know, at, when the Panthers first uh, gained uh, notoriety, you know, he sees them with those guns and he says, I, I wanted to be a part of that, whatever that was, <laughs> you know. Uh, and so, you know, he goes and joins the Panthers. And, and I think that that was a brilliant calculation in, yeah. in terms of, yeah, and that's one of the differences between the idea of of the traditional civil rights movement, which says, you know, we're gonna we're gonna persuade you by, by our moral authority. You know, you're gonna you're gonna see us as peaceful demonstrators, and you're gonna see these people with clubs and and dogs and and fire hoses, and you're gonna you're gonna have to make a choice. You know, who's right or who's wrong. I think the Panthers were were very different. They were saying, you know. Um, we know that a, that this, a lot of people are going to be scared. A lot of people are going to hate us as soon as they see this. But there's going to be another segment of the population who's going to say, "Right on, right. you know, I want to be part of that." And and those are the people that we're after. We don't have to persuade, uh, you know, the, the majority of the population. We just have to to, to get you know um, the people that we want that we're looking for on our side. I think the other thing that the film does uh, very clearly is show that the Panthers had a lot more allies and a lot more friends than it's remembered as. Yeah. You know, one of the things that J. Edgar Hoover said, again, the director of the FBI, was that, you know, in a memo, it was that he wants to isolate the Black Panthers. Yeah. And I think he succeeded in doing that. So we look at them as this kind of militant group that's out there on an island by themselves. But as you see in the film, you know, you see, uh, uh, you know, Panthers speaking, Elders Cleaver is speaking, and, you know, there's thousands of people watching, and 95% of them are white. Right. That, no. you know, there's everybody, every single group in this country, Asians, Latinos, uh, uh, you know, join the Free Huey movement. So I think they think the, the, the way they've become remembered is very different from how they were seen, at, at least at that time. 
And to your point, by the way, we're speaking with Stanley Nelson. He is the director, writer, producer of the film The Black Panthers, Vanguard of the Revolution. He will be in town, as he said, next uh, Friday, that's September 25th, at the landmark New Art Theater. That's right at the corner of uh, Santa Monica Boulevard and the 405 Freeway. You can't miss it. Uh, so look for that, uh, and you'll be there for some question and answers on Friday, and I assume Saturday as well. Is that part of the plan? Um, I think so. I'm, I, I, okay. I'm going to my schedule as we talk. <laughs> I'm kind of going where they tell me to go, you well, know, and then that's, that's, that's about it for me at this point. Very good. Uh, well, yeah, I, yes, I will definitely be there uh, Friday and Saturday of next week. Okay, and check that out. Landmark's a terrific place. People should go there because it's 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 such a wonderful place to see great films. Uh, there's so many things I want to talk to you about this, but this sort of uh, the different approaches of the civil rights movement during that era. You had the Martin Luther King um, uh, nonviolent approach to the moral authority, and then you had you had basically Malcolm X, and you had Stokely Carmichael. You had people who were advocating for a more proactive defense of of the the civil rights of African Americans during that era, and the Panthers were more in that camp i would i would i think it's safe to say of we're going to take control of this situation we're not going to wait for the moral authority of of the dominant political class to to take hold and we want to be more involved uh and in that vein is is that a fair characterization on that i think i, I think it is very very fair yeah, yeah okay mm-hmm. well i want to go i want to talk about i really want to talk about fred hampton because the you had a tremendous upheaval within the movement of the death the assassination of martin luther king the death of the assassination of malcolm x uh the arrest the cointel program of the fbi and the our federal police force under the auspices of uh j edgar hoover really set about to destroy uh the the civil rights movement throughout this country but fred hampton seemed to be kind of an amazing remarkable uh person within the movement that I don't think very many Americans know anything about. I really want to talk a little bit about Fred Hampton and his impact, not only in the film, but certainly uh, on the history of, of the Black Panthers. Sure. Well, Fred Hampton was uh, in Chicago, and he became the uh, Panther leader in Illinois when he was 20 years old. And I think one of the difference, uh, differences between Fred Hampton and some of the other Panthers all, all over the country is Fred Hampton came out of the traditional civil rights movement. He was the youth leader of the NAACP in that area. And, and he was just a very charismatic speaker, a very charismatic guy. And he sets out to form what he called the Rainbow Coalition. So he was the first one to coin this term. And, he's, and he starts making um, uh, peace and, and, and uh, working with um, Latino gangs and, and others in uh, Chicago. And, and then he goes and, and makes an alliance with um, uh, white uh, poor white people that they actually in Chicago call hillbillies. They're, they're yeah. from App- Appalachia. And uh, he goes and he makes a uh, peace with them and they form these, they start to form these coalitions. And there's just an uh, amazing uh, scene in the film where, you know, you see these, these, these white uh uh, guys who call themselves the Young Patriot Party, and they they say, you know, look, if the Black Panthers are going to stand by us, then we'll stand by them. Yeah. And he starts making these coalitions, and that becomes just a, an incredibly scary thing to uh, Jagger Hoover and the FBI. And I'm going to say it: he was he was it was a political assassination on the part in conjunction with the Chicago police and the federal and the FBI. They killed Fred Hampton. I I, I don't know that there's. 
much in dispute as to their involvement. Uh, they but they assassinated Fred Hampton. I I would heard enough about this before I saw uh, your film, uh, uh, this film, The Black Panthers. So uh, yeah, no, I mean I think you're 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 perfectly right. Is the the film ends with a card that you know says his his family and others who were involved in the shooting won a, almost a two million dollar settlement. You know, with with the um, the city of Chicago and the, and the FBI for his for his murder and another guy who was, who was actually murdered, you know, at the time. So you know, it it, it it's not it's not much much dispute that uh, he was murdered and and that you know was done with the aid of, of informers who and one of who is is in the film who, yeah. who gave them gave the FBI a floor plan, drew this handwritten floor plan that's actually in the film also, handwritten yeah. floor plan of Fred Hampton's house, you know, and, 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 and uh, you know, pinpointing the bed that he was in when they murdered him. And the disinformation that came out by the police after the right after the uh, the, the assassination, <laughs> all of it, you see it all. This is such a wonderful film, uh, Stanley. I, I am again, I'm so happy that you're able to come back and and talk to us about this. I just want to also let our audience know that Stanley Nelson is responsible for such films as Freedom Summer, Freedom Riders, Jonestown, The Life and Death of the People's Temple, and The Murder of Emmett Till, among the many films that you've made. This certainly is 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 as uh, a document well worth seeing for a lot of different reasons, but a historic context and political context to the world we live in. Uh, you're going to be in town September 25th, next Friday, at the New Art Landmark New Art, New Art Theater in Los Angeles for a Q&A there on Friday and Saturday. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being here to talk about the Black Panthers vanguard of the revolution. Stanley Nelson, thank you. Oh, it, it, it's my pleasure. And I should say, if anybody wants information on, on screenings, if you go to theblackpanthers.com, theblackpanthers.com, it, it's all there. There's also in the film an incredible uh, a sequence of the uh, shootout with the Panther office in L.A. that's just incredible. Yes, yes. The, again, there's so much here. There's so much uh, to know and to learn about and to understand because this echoes to this day. I mean, the, the recent shootings, the, the well, not recent, this has been going on probably since then, but we're just now finding out just to the depth and breadth of the shootings of uh, young African-Americans uh, throughout this country, and uh, it's, it's it couldn't be more timely. Thank you very much, uh, Stanley Nelson, for being a part of Film School. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.